And like I said, we are people over practices. We don't try to overcomplicate any of our people practices or policies in place. They are there just to support if people need it. On today's show, we're joined by Anissa. She's the senior HR business partner at 11FS, a fintech consultancy building challenger products for legacy banks. And we're talking all about culture and how they're growing as a people-driven organization. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with interviews and news from the sector. So if you're interested in tech, this is the podcast for you. Hello, good morning. Morning. How much money do you have left in the bank after Christmas? Oh, it's close to zero. (laughs) Is that like a weird giraffe noise? Oh, it's a goat. It was a goat. Yeah. Let's not get into that. I I know that you do goat impressions. I don't think it's the way to start the podcast. Oh dear. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Did you manage to save any money over Christmas or is it all gone? Uh, Yeah, absolutely none. It's gone. It's done. (laughs) I'm just counting down the days till payday now. (laughs) You don't want a serious point. Apparently, I think it's something like 90% of people in the UK have less than £100 in savings at any one time. Really? Where do you where do you bank? Where so do you I I bank with Barclays. Right. Evie. Um, same Barclays. Yeah, Barclays. Me, Barclays. Oh yeah, me Barclays. Evie uses Monzo. I, I do. use Monzo. I use Monzo quite. I, when you were saying actually. Yeah. I do the same thing as you do. There we go. Uh, with your money, I don't use it properly. I think we should get into the interview because because it's kind of touching on some points, but uh, there is one thing on there that um that I think is really interesting about that stability of needing a physical presence. The fact that we all bank with Barclays. Yeah, yeah it's touched on in the interview. So yeah. we'll come back and discuss it afterwards. But it's well done on saving money, guys. But kind of. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Um, but yes, here's Anissa and then we'll talk again afterwards. So today we're talking to Anissa from 11FS. How are you? Good, thank you. You? Yes, good, good. It's fun to have 11FS on the show, I haven't I haven't actually done a podcast with you since Sophie Thien was was on the podcast. Oh, that was a little while ago. It was, but I always like coming back to companies who've gone through a real period of change from one podcast to the next. Yeah, and it's fair to say that you guys have really been through a period of change. I mean, yeah, I mean, it totally would have been a different world when, since you last spoke to Sophie um, yeah. and us. Now we've gone through such a huge transition. We're scaling up, um, and that doesn't look like it's gonna. <laughs> slow down anytime soon. So, look, you, what what is your title now? And what was your title when you joined? Has that changed? Uh, so, just so I joined a senior HR business partner, but yep. now I'm just senior people partner. So, I mean, shift away from HR. Yeah, that, now that will be interesting to pick up as we go through this, the kind of HR to people piece. Yeah. But first of all, in case someone is not familiar with 11FS, and I'm talking like it's this familiar term, who are 11FS? So we are a challenger consultancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially we are building truly digital uh, propositions for banks. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the leaders in the fintech industry working for our business and really the top talent. You're going into the likes of a Barclays and AtWest and HSBC yes. and going, hey, look, these guys down the street and, you know, Monzo and Starling are literally down the street Next door to us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In fact, Monzo might even just be below. Um, no, or over the street. Anyway, very, very close. These guys are coming along and they're building propositions that are potentially stealing your customers away. You need to build similarly or yeah. react as flexibly. How easy is that to do? Because Monzo and Starling Bank are like you. They are growth companies. They've got that agility. Whereas Barclays, for example, 
just to pick them because they are my bank. They are huge. And Why are you still banking with Barclays? Well, okay, so I, so my wages go into Barclays and then I use Monzo and Revolut to spend. But see, that's the thing that we're doing. We're all It's all ingrained in us to be using these old banks that we probably grew up with and our parents probably yeah. set up account for us when we were kids. Yes. Um, but if you look at what do you actually want from a bank and the things that you struggle with. You know, when I got married, I struggled to change my surname on my bank account. So it's actually looking at what do people want from their banks? It doesn't have to be that difficult. So that is what we are creating. You know, and look, this is completely kind of diatribe, but I trust Monzo and I trust Revolut to put quite a lot, like my savings for, for, for my wife and I house deposit is in Monzo. But for some reason, I can't break that umbilical cord for my salary not going yeah. to Barclays. Weird, isn't it? It is. I mean, you know, fintech is still... Some people are still unsure what fintech actually does. Some people, you know, it came off the back of the, you know, big recession. Um, it'll take some time for people to change that behaviour and kind of divorce themselves from the idea that the stability comes from physically having a bank and physically having somewhere where you can go to. Mm. Um, I mean, if you look at things such as, you know, online shopping now, people buy things when there is absolutely no shop that you can go into. What happens if you buy something that's not what you thought it was? It's that divorce and the idea of it doesn't have to physically be there to have that trust. So look, you joined when the company was about 30 perm employees. Yes. And that was in February, so coming up to a year ago. Yeah. And this week we've just hit... 89 permanent employees but about 120 February's not nearly a year ago <laughs> to me it is it moves so fast here within my first month I felt like I was here for three months which is amazing because that shows the, the, the level of change yeah. and the speed right but that February's still quite a long way we from a year no ago we have no concept of time here <laughs> <laughs> there's a snapshot of mentality inside a startup right there or, or a growth up let's say scale up um, yeah so you're nearly at 80 now yeah you just announced that you're looking to hire 300 people. Yeah, we are scaling up rapidly. We've just moved buildings. Yeah. We completely outgrew our last building. Um, and I'm pretty sure we're going to outgrow this one, even though we moved into it four weeks ago. That's <laughs> a good place to be. It is. It is a really, really good place to be. Um, it's a really good phase to go through. Anybody joining now as well, they're part of that journey. Yeah. Um, you know, where we were in February when I joined, um, is it feels like a completely different company now. We are in that phase of growing up getting a little bit more sophisticated, but still retaining the best aspects. Now, I imagine when you joined at 30 people, you were the one person in the function you were in. Yes. Obviously, that cannot be the case when you get to nearly 400 No, um, but I mean, it's in a non-traditional way. It doesn't mean to just hire more HR or people people. It's like, what do we actually need? Um, so we've expanded out our ops team. So we've also got a new talent team in place. Mm. Um, so it's no longer just a one person team. We have now five people in that and we are growing that as well. Um, I have a people coordinator as well to support with that. And we are growing the people team now. So this this is the interesting point, right? You've, you've come into this and you've kind of got a blank slate to go, what should a people function look like ideally? And take cherry pick different bits from different businesses. It is the best position to be in, let me tell you. Um, Coming in, like you said, into a black slate, but also looking at, right, what is the business I'm in now? What does Mm. it need? Um, And identifying what that journey looks like. So, you know, when I joined, as bad as this sounds, and I probably shouldn't say this publicly, we didn't really have the people policies in place. Well, no, but I think that's probably a universal experience for a lot of, of startups. Yeah. So it came in, you know, within my first month, 
Um, it was literally sitting down and going through the people policies and looking at actually what do we want and not just writing people policies for the sake of it to have mm. it there but what do we truly want and what do our values represent and how to incorporate that into our policies I say policies but we are people over policies and people over practices um, so within my first month you know we initially had statutory maternity pay that's not what we want so mm. we enhanced our maternity to six months full pay and paternity to one month full pay. Now, I think you're probably teasing at the answer to this question in some of what you've just said there, and it, this might be naive of me, but what is the difference between HR and people? Because I started to see the people title coming a few years ago, and I wondered, is that just branding to make people feel that it's a more cuddly company, or is there actually subtle differences that say, no, this, this is a different way of building a business? I mean, it comes down to when you think of HR and the very literal way of you know when HR was personal management it's this whole transition that HR goes through what was started as personal management mm. to HR you have this association with just hiring and firing whereas people I feel like it associates with that value adding looking at their journey being at the heart of the people process you're not just there for the business you are also there for your talent and the journey they go on so looking at what you know their career would look like in the business what learning and development looks like you know, even their general well-being and their engagement in the business and also their happiness. Um, I mean, you get titles now such as I've seen Chief Happiness Officer and, you know, Cultural Engagement Manager. Um, so that title is still evolving. Um, but I think people differ from HR is because HR isn't just a, an, a kind of a an operational title, whereas mm -hmm. people is more associated with the softer side of things as well. Do you think that's been driven by... Do you think that's being driven by leaders in the industry or do you think that's being driven by the fact that what millennials and Gen Z want from a business? And I, I look, I oh, say millennials. that, look, look, <laughs> I, I say that with a small amount of disdain because I don't think that there's been this sudden change in human behaviour in the last 30 years. But maybe the environment, uh, you can build a very good case that the environment and the working world definitely has altered what people want from work. I'm just wondering if it's a push-pull, kind of where, where this is really coming from. Is it businesses responding or is it businesses leading? Um, I think it's more so, in my perspective, businesses responding. I mean, you take, for instance, millennials. There is so much research around it and it's so much written about what do millennials want? Um, you know, how culture isn't just having free beer and a ping-pong table. But if you look at what millennials really want, they want that flexibility. Mm. They are more driven by their passion of enjoying what they do and feeling that connection to a business Whereas, you know, maybe 30, 40 years ago, it was a, oh, I'm here, this is my job, I need to do this, work nine till five. Whereas mm. now people are so passionate about it. You don't really switch off from work with, you know, social media, you, you're constantly switched on. So I feel that it is a response to the change in workforce and the change in, um, the change in narrative of what work really means to the next generation. Mm. Now, culture is this thing that's very fluid and and changes and when you were 30 people you know we've, we've had David Breer come on and pop in on, on our podcast before and I know that he's kind of quite a big personality and you can tell that through the content that you guys put out so Simon and David and, and those characters would have very much been instrumental in shaping the culture in the early days but I guess they've got to also see that as the business grows they can't yeah some of it will come from them but there's got to be a little bit more structure right Yes, yeah, so I feel that culture is somewhat led from the top but enabled from the mid and the bottom and by the managers. And, mm. you know, the way we hire, we don't hire for culture fit, we hire for our culture enhancements to understand that our culture is evolving, but how to retain those aspects that really make us truly 11FS. 
um, and make our employees 11s. Um, I think that... Sorry, that's what the employees are called? I don't know if I should say that because I call them that. So I'm like, hey, hello. Hey, hello, hello. If, if, it's not, if it's not a thing, you should make it a thing. <laughs> I think we should. I think we're trying to figure out something a little bit more creative, but we're 11s for now. I, I, do, think, I do think that transition of what you're saying to the, to the mid-management is interesting. Uh, how, do the, how do the founders feel about that? Because it's their business, right? And then you've got people who are joining, they're buying into the vision, but I suppose they've got to let go to a certain extent and let other people kind of take, take that baton and run with it. They do. It's about taking that step back and reflecting on what are we truly trying to achieve. Um, we are trying to achieve a business that is so high performing and having the top talent that we have. And whilst you know our culture is somewhat led by the top, the way it's enabled from the mid-level is, you know, through those shared beliefs, those shared ways of working, that, you know, even that knowledge sharing. Um, so that's what we're working on at the moment. We are working on our values, which we'll be launching. And like I said, we are people over practices. We don't try to overcomplicate any of our people practices or policies in place. They are there just to support if people need it. You're working in a business that's rapidly growing, that's rapidly changing, huge amounts of... of wonderful things about that but at the same time I suppose could come with a, with a large amount of pressure and you kind of joked about the fact that you know you go on annual leave and you come back and the world's changed that must be there must be challenging aspects to deal with that make the job a little bit harder from that perspective right there definitely are but I mean they're good challenges to have um, like I said you know you can go on annual leave and everything could change by the time you come back at the end of that week um, in terms of a whole lot of people have just been hired that one week and you're figuring out onboarding so that's one of our kind of our key areas at the moment is pre-onboarding and onboarding um, and looking at that journey of somebody actually becoming an 11 yeah. um, from the moment that they sign a contract with us um, our culture is constantly evolving with every person that joins us it is a slight change in culture of you know bringing mm. new ideas bringing new ways of working and that new knowledge um, so our culture is constantly evolving and shifting and it's recognising that that's going to happen naturally and organically rather than trying to stop it. How do you, how do you balance that slight trade-off if people want to join you because you're a fast-paced, agile, exciting business versus becoming this demanding business that kind of takes over their lives? Because you do, you do need that, that slight balance and that awareness that this can't be 16 to 18 hours a day. That, yeah. that won't actually be healthy in the long term. I think it's that balance between being reactive and understanding what the business needs immediately and also that value adding of thinking right longer term what is it that we're going to need in place rather than a short term gain. Mm. Um, so you know some of the challenges we face now is that we are growing so fastly that you know putting in place a strategy of right longer term how are we going to achieve this um, rather than just being reactive. Mm. So look if, if you were to talk to someone in your boots Eight, nine months ago, not a year ago, eight or nine months ago. <laughs> in my terms, a year ago. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but someone who's who's in an HR or a people function um, in a small business, maybe 20 people or so, and they are looking at this and they're going, what are the structures, um, what, do we, what, what are the strategies that we need to put in place? What would you say are the key things that have really helped you through this last year? The key thing really is having a collaborative leadership team um, who are so involved um, and don't just see it as a HR process, mm. who don't just treat culture as a HR thing or the people practices as a HR thing, but are collaborative and are as invested and passionate in our overall goal to have the top talent to you know be a high-performing business and retain our best aspects. Mm. So I'd say first is to understand what the collective goal is um, and then figuring out what's worked for other people and what hasn't and 
what does that mean in our terms as a company what flavor do we want to put on that and it cannot just be a one-man thing culture cannot be led by one person it can't just be led by you know somebody at the top um like i said it has to be driven by all other levels um so the best thing i would suggest is to first understand what we're trying to achieve make sure you've got everybody aligned on that because yeah. you don't want to be working on something somebody throws a span in the works and they just say i don't agree with this and it just kind of it's debilitating yeah. um so having that initial alignment first um and setting milestones of what you want to do you know within my first few months it was a looking at our our offering so enhancing maternity paternity rolling out a whole host of employee benefits we didn't have employee benefits before and that was a challenge for us to get that top talent you know we are competing with the likes of you know the big banks and the smaller challenges um so rolling out a whole host of benefits looking at what people really want and what's driving the business looking at lnd looking at where people want to go to in their career um and just being very honest and frank about it like you know we're building a company people might not necessarily want to stay for 30 years at a time and yeah. being really honest about it and understanding right rather than what can we get from them what can we give them what can they achieve from here to you know retain that talent and to a healthy amount um and just being honest leading with people and i think that's where it comes to my own experience as a people person i lead with my own experience um, rather than trying to be this HR. So as a person, what would I like to see at a company? How would I like to feel? How would I like to be valued or recognised? Um, and just being very realistic around it. And like I said, like you can read all the theories out there, all the historical things, but that doesn't mean it's relevant to your business today. Yes. Well, look, I think it's fascinating. I think you're in this... I mean, it's a bit of an eye of a storm, but it's uh, it must be a, a bit of a you know it's a it's a fun ride at the same time yeah. that you're going through. So, uh, good luck with that growth. Thanks. You're going to be busy. I am, <laughs> but like I said, there are worse problems to have. Um, yes. It's accelerated learning. It's accelerated growth. Oh Christ! I mean, from where you were when you joined this company to where it might be two, three years down the line. Absolutely. Know, that experience is never going to go away. I'll have so. to revisit this conversation <laughs> in my terms of a year and a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Time, time flies when you're having fun. Right. Uh, thank you very much for your time and good luck for the few months ahead. Thanks so much. So what, what about this point about stability? Do you, do you think you need a physical thing to trust it? I think just as a conceptual idea, that's quite interesting, right? Yeah. I, I, don't, know. I don't know why I feel like that, but I just... It's like you said with yours, like my money goes into my Barclays account and then anything I'm trying to like save or for bills is in there and then everything I'm allowed to spend goes into my Monzo account to use. But it's like this this thing, like if you think about retail and you think about our shopping habits, it took a, probably took a long time for people to trust buying things mm. online as mm. opposed to buying things in a shop. And we've yeah. made that transition now. But it would appear to be that we're on that journey with banks but not there yet. Yeah, I don't know. You just you do feel now. I think just because of the fact that they're so new, and you're still learning to trust them, and because you can't necessarily physically go into a bank like Monzo, not that you normally but why should not that you normally would. It just it just feels safer. When did you last go into Barclays? A long time ago. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. A very long. time. I can do everything on my app now. Yeah. I mean, the stupid thing is, you walk, walk into Barclays, and what happens? Do you talk to someone? No. no they send you to a terminal. Yeah. yeah. That's so true. That's so true. And I like the terminals actually. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> but you end up using it like an online bank yeah. in yeah. a room, which is pointless. Exactly. That. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. It, but it just. I don't know why. I, we just need to get over it.
and I think we are on the way because way more people are using them yeah. it's just it's just that step to transition your salary into your Monzo account which I feel like is quite a big step um, I think as she uh, Anissa Anissa touched on a really interesting point when she said um, you bark with Barclays because that's where your parents opened your first bank account mm. uh-huh. and I found that this this has even happened with me when I picked toothpaste because my mom used to buy Colgate. Do you use the same toothpaste? I all the time? only no. I, no, I just kind of pick up whatever. Oh really? Yeah. I only use Colgate. Anyway, <laughs> there are people like me out there. There are people like me out there. But I think as yes, as, there are. And and like you said with the online shopping, stop laughing at me. Like I'm making a really good point. I'm, okay, sorry. Like, <laughs> like you said with the online shopping, it took some time and it took like a couple of like generations a couple of 10 10 year gaps before people are like okay i trust it i didn't try okay i still don't trust online shopping but i have trust issues and when it comes to a bank i think the more we go i mean our kids 100 percent will all be on these funky banks i 100 percent poses the question though why did you start using monzo or revolut for revolut i started using revolut because there was a problem with barclays in the Hayley, my wife, has some health issues. Getting travel insurance through Barclays was a pain in the ass. It was really easy through Revolut. But to be perfectly honest, I started using Monzo because everyone was using Monzo and it's cool. Yeah. I basically jumped <laughs> on, a, on a bandwagon. Me too. That's right? the only reason I did. That's why Evie, Evie well, told me to use it. I, I did. I yeah. actually persuaded a lot of people to get Monzo. It's like free advertising for them. Yeah, we both got, got, got five pounds. She got a five pound benefit. <laughs> but anyway, the reason I started using Monzo is actually people were talking to me about it and to do with the savings thing actually so the fact that you can make budgets and pots and things and it sort of it shows you what you're spending on loads of different things I thought that would be so so useful to help Mm. me try and save more money and things like you know rounding up the pennies and that goes into like a savings pot every time you spend something just like loads of little things like that which are useful and it, it's a lot easier. The problem is I have no self-control so I keep going into the pot where it rounds up and being well, like, oh, there's like 18 pounds there that I forgot about. Well, I mean, that's what happened. Yeah. But still. <laughs> People have no it's self-control so when it comes to money and they don't trust their money with their bank. They shouldn't trust their money yeah. with themselves. And it's easy to transfer people as well. Okay, so, so very good. Before we get into the 11FS stuff, because it is super interesting yeah. uh, what Anissa was saying around culture and people, uh, most most valuable feature that you've seen on a fintech, me personally, um, Revolut allows you to spin up uh, virtual cards like that. So you don't have to wait for a card to come through the post. You can basically go, I want a virtual card, and it creates a card in the app that you can use to purchase online in oh, wow. seconds, and then you can get rid of it in seconds. Is that and like it, your Apple wallet? Is that like an Apple yeah, wallet? Yeah, so it like adds a, a, phys- a virtual card into a wallet that you can use to purchase anything online, cool. which is amazing because obviously if, it's, if there's a case of fraud, you can get rid of it again in seconds, and your yeah, actual anyone. card is, is safe. Wow, that's a really good idea. That, to me, is genius. Go Revolut. Yeah, I like that. I don't know whether anyone else has that. I don't use Starling, so I don't know if they do or not. I'm not sure about Starling. What if Bo does? Bo? Oh, Bo. I don't know Bo. (gasps) Oh, Bo. Bo's a fintech. But they're they're doing, they're very similar to Monzo and Revolut. I'm I'm actually working a couple roles for them at the moment. Oh, Ali's very excited about that. Shout out to Bo. Um, Yeah, they're just there to help you save your money. Any other feature that you guys have seen that you like? I kind of mentioned mine already. The, you mentioned yours. Yeah, the, the pots. pots. The pots. pots. Oh, I don't use it properly, so I can't comment. <laughs> Good comment. Right, okay. Um, what about this idea about a blank slate? We didn't have people policies in place. 
What does the business want and what are our values and how do they align people over policies? How many organisations do it the other way around? How many organisations sit there and go, we need some values? I feel like quite a lot of them probably do. I remember listening to a few talks before, I think it was one of our events or something, and people were saying like, yeah, the more people we added on, the more times people would come up to us and then they'd realise, oh, actually we have nothing to cover what they're looking for. And you kind of just make it up as you go along. But I feel like that tends to be quite normal for new companies. Is that, that's surely not good though, just because it's normal? No, not necessarily. But I think then it's not just set out policies for that don't work for the people there. At least then you can like make new policies that are actually useful to all the types of people there. And they're, I don't know, they're more I, up to date. You see, I'm always a bit cynical about values. What, what good is the value? But I like the fact that they kind of went people over policies and that informs our policy. So they had a look at the fact that they had statutory maternity leave mm. and then went, well, we don't want that. And up to maternity full pay to six months and increased paternity to a month. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and I just wonder how many organisations really take stuff like that to heart. And I I'm think- not sure as many do as they should do. I think it's easier to do if you are a startup. Because, like you said, there's a kind of blank slate. Because then you... Uh, hold on. Uh-huh. I understand why you asked that question. Well, no. What's to, what's to stop Harvey Nash ripping up its maternity leave and, and saying, well, that's well let's put doing. a new one in place? Well, that's what they're doing right now. Well, exactly. So why is it easier for a startup? Because it's that get the ground running. You're getting your people in. I, I don't know. You're hitting the ground running, right? So you're just getting all these new people in. I think it's easier to go, this is how it works, as opposed to... Guys, we're changing everything. But that's an important point, right? There is that perception that it's harder for an enterprise to change and therefore it almost gives them an excuse not to. But why? Why is it difficult for an enterprise to rip up its policies and, and, mm. and rewrite them? Because there's a lot more branches, a lot more cobwebs in but, a bigger so? organisation as opposed to a startup, which is a lot, I, I feel, a lot like in a neat little box. But each country operates... Within to, to, so, so if you look at an organisation like Harvey Nash, it's an umbrella organisation. Each country sets its own people policies because obviously each country has its own employment laws. There's nothing to stop the UK going, let's change our policies to reflect what we think is... I'm not, just, I'm not having a go. Better. I'm not having a go at Harvey Nash. I'm just using it because we're employed by them. Uh, yeah, right? and we're doing I'm just saying enterprise organisations could use that legacy thing as an excuse. I don't see why, why they should find it any harder to be up to date. But, yeah. but is that the reason that they... Is that the excuse for, listen, guys, this is difficult, we're, we're working on it? I bet it's in a lot of organisations' excuse. I think it's easy to get very nation. complacent as well. Like, you've already got something yeah, in place, you got, so you, you it works it. fine. Like, but not I mean, that many people are complaining like, like, why change. Like she pointed out, and like everyone always points out, is that the whole world is moving into this, oh, we have the millennials now, let's have their mindset. We did come in and shake everything up. Mm. So it's not we're not complacent anymore. I don't. I do think it's harder for a bigger organisation to be like we're changing everything as opposed to a startup, which is this is how we're going to do things. Mm. Yeah, it's harder, but it shouldn't also be used as an excuse. I think, which it often is. So we talk about as well about the the fact that um, it, are these changes in culture and attitudes and working patterns a response or are they being driven by the organi- by people who lead the organisations? And in the interview, myself and Annie go, all right, maybe, maybe it's a response because people's attitudes are changing. I don't know whether it is because I was thinking about it again, listening back to it. Startups are t- typically built by millennials, mm-hmm. right? 
So they're people who are passionate about what they do. What we've seen on the podcast time and time again is that it's people solving a problem, not, not starting out to make money. The making money bit happens because they solve a problem well. Um, so I'm not sure it is a response. And isn't it kind of a natural evolution that the barriers of entry to being a CEO are being lowered? Yeah, so I think I think it probably, I think it could be a bit of both. The With younger, younger and younger people joining, they sort of expect those things that maybe were originally created by people who founded the companies. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I guess you, you try and be different and try and attract loads of new people to your company and create this really cool and fun work culture and environment. Mm. And I think it's, yeah, I think that's probably what started off the people who started the companies. It's almost like the startup boom has kind of given the industry a jump start. Yeah. And now it's being evolved along a bit. Mm. I don't understand. Explain that. Well, so for years and years and years and years, if you look at boomers and my parents' generation, stuff was the way that it was. Yeah. And then in the last 10, 15 years, there's been an explosion of new companies and new ideas. And, and now that's like, being evolved that. along. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I think it's also got a lot to do with people are really just realizing what's important now. And to be happy is important. And you want to work for a company that offers that kind of flexibility. And that's why, like she said, there's a chief happiness officer, <laughs> which yeah. made my heart so happy. And that is what I want to be one day. You would be a chief happiness officer. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And that's something I do <laughs> want to be. And she pointed out something and she said that they don't hire people to fit their culture. They hire people to add to, what did she say, hire people to enhance their culture, culture enhancements. And I really took that out. I was like, that is brilliant because you don't want a whole bunch of people, like-minded people in one company. You want to bring in new people, change the culture, mix it up. That's the world we live in now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, but I also think it could have been Without these new companies, I also think that it could have been very easy for us to stay in the same spot as like our older par- like our parents and older people, and in the same sort of work environment. And it's only because we've like seen the brighter side that everyone started to change. Oh, those those poor unenlightened parents. I know they missed oh. out. But you but you can see everyone's kind of thinking the new way now. Even if you look at the the staff of an older generation, yeah, our management they they're even taking into account. No, seriously. <laughs> which and, which categories are I fall into? No, of course you don't. You, Dave's a millennial through yeah. and through. Dave's more millennial than I am. Um, but the the senior management are starting to think the way we do. They're like, listen, our employees are not happy. How do we do it? Yeah, we change our mindset. Um, Retention matters. Is that, is that- <laughs> it's interesting. Sorry, coughing fit. <laughs> it's interesting that we talk about HR and people, and they talk about, about people being about the journey. Because incre- increasingly, people don't spend as long in an organization as they used to spend. They used to spend like mm. 20 years in an organization. Yeah. Yeah, and in that context, that. you think a journey really matters. Yeah. But now, actually, when people are more fluid and and less sticky, actually, the journey matters that much more. I, I 100% agree. I 100% agree. And because of how Harvey Nash, and, and I'm not preaching Harvey Nash here, I'm just saying because of how, because I work here, because of how Harvey Nash has changed and accommodated not just me, but the, my team, and I see everyone becoming happier um, and happy in their environment, it's a company I want to be loyal to. Yeah. So I don't just want to walk out the door. And I think that's important. Look, it's really interesting. Anissa, I, I really appreciate you coming onto the show and sharing some of the 11FS story. 
look, Eleven FS are an organisation we've known for a little while and produce some excellent podcasts. Bit of a plug there for fintech and blockchain insiders. Um, we will have a break, and when we come back, we will have a very short piece of technology news. Once a month, Tech Talks opens the Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Um, quick bit of silliness to, to round off the week, but it's not that silly, but Mark Zuckerberg has dropped his personal challenges in a favour of big picture plans for the decade. So um, Zuckerberg previously has made New Year's resolutions like learning a new language or only uh, eating meat that he kills. Uh, possibly in, I um, know. Oh look at look at Ali's face <laughs> to that. Uh, possibly in um, a reaction to the fact that no one really likes him anymore, and the fact that it's a new decade, so he's got a good excuse. He's going big picture because you know if he has like a New Year's resolution this year, people might go bore off, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, get a personality. Yeah. Um, but on that note, uh, what are your big picture challenges for the next decade, guys? I like that he named them challenges because I don't like saying New Year's resolution. It's a goal, right? Well, yeah, you're going to try your best. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try my best. Um, I'm reading. I'm reading this year and I'm hiking. I want to hike. I'm so you're going to read and hike over the next decade? Yes. Oh, no, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Read and hike. Read and hike. Read, hike, spend time with my family. What kind of books? Nice. Um, oh, I'm actually reading one now. Yes. It's called, what's it called again? It's like unthinkable oh, or something. It's obviously made a big impression. No, on no, hold on. It really has asked Evie. I've been telling her about every single It does sound interesting. It's so much so that can't remember the title. Yeah. I remember what it looks <laughs> like. <laughs> okay, where are you going to hike? Um, to be fair, this weekend I've already planned I'm going on a, a four-hour hike. You know pop crawls don't count, right? A lot. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I... Take that back. That's right, there's Start no water. There's no water. Is that better? Um, along the White Cliffs of Dover. Oh, lovely. Oh, no, fair play. Fair play. Fair play. All right. And my challenge, actually, this year, not this decade, my challenge this year is to do the three peaks in 24 hours. The actual three peaks or the Yorkshire three peaks? No, the the, the oh, one where you drive it a lot. Yes. Yes, well, no, I've done the Yorkshire Three Peaks twice. Yes, I know. I want to do that sure. in 24 hours. That's my, one of my goals. What? It's a big walk, <laughs> all right? All right, I've done it twice. Easy, who cares? It is. <laughs> I did it when I was severely overweight with no notice. Well done. Yeah. Very good. Uh, anyway, Evie? I'm a vegetarian now. That's Forever. your challenge for the decade? Well, no, that's just one of them. I, I, I want, I, and on, on, on the 1st of January 2030, I'm going to seek you out and give you a hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cruel. <laughs> well, let's see if I'll still be veggie by then. But I think I will. I think I can do it. How are you finding yeah. it so far? She I think ate, it's been alright. She ate fish on the second day of being a vegetarian. No, only because I went to a fish restaurant for my brother's birthday. So? Apart from that, there's been nothing. They must cater for non-fish people. Um, so you're know. a pescatarian so far? Exactly. Oh, yeah, a pescatarian <laughs> on one day and then vegetarian the rest of my I life. I've got to be honest, with that, with that slight confession, with that confession, I have minimal expectations of this. That's so I'm gonna do it. I've done she's so just well. Lie, so she's doing it was like a one meal. Anyway, so that's what I'm doing. 
whether you like it or not. All right, I know you've been very judgmental about it. Oh, massively, that's my role. Anyway. We're on the um, top of the food chain for a reason. Oh, let's not get into it. <laughs> Hang on, but you're vegetarian, aren't you? No, she's oh, not. Oh, right, okay. Oh, of course I not. You're South African. <laughs> yeah. Stupid. For breakfast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. What else do I do? I'm reading a lot, which I tried to do last year as well, which I did, which was good. Do you know the titles of any books? I do. Good. Uh, so I read... Um, the Uninhabitable Earth, but which was so depressing. It was so so depressing about climate change. That's fun. Um, and then another one, which yeah. Yeah. There's two books. There. Good two work, books. guys. They're hard books to read. It takes a long time because they're like just full of facts. What about you, Dave? Tell me. Um, I don't really believe in New Year's resolutions and whatnot. But if I was thinking about the decade, <laughs> I'm this is going to be good. <laughs> I'm no. good enough. That is not what I'm saying. I just think that they're a bit pointless. Um, three peaks twice. Which is quite sad, but I'm quite tempted by the Ultra Trail Mont Blanc. Oh, you do those of exercise now. Ultra Trail Mont Blanc is over 100 kilometres. Oh, my God. And you have to run in qualifying races to even be able to enter it. So you have to complete a number of ultra marathons to... So it would be quite a long-term goal. Oh, that's awful. You look so you full of disdain. You won't, <laughs> you won't be a fatty anymore then, will you? What? Gross, you won't be, because you said the last a fatty. time... Yeah, because you said the last Whoa. time you did the three peaks, you were fatty. He's he not now. Himself. But he's not oh, now. No, let's, let's, let's wrap it up for the week. <laughs> this is becoming the longest podcast ever. Um, hope you've enjoyed Tech Talks, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>